Hello, City Hope. Everybody doing good? The most exciting weekends at City Hope are baptismal weekends. You'll see in a few minutes. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just a lot of fun to watch live. Every time I watch, either live or like on the video uh, with the guys getting baptized, there's just something inside of me that stirs me. And it, make, it reminds me, this is why we do what we do, for lives to be changed. And it just so happens that we started a series last weekend on grace. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to plug right into that, and then we'll get out of the way, and we'll do a baptismal service in just a moment. I do want to tell you that we have the opportunity. We are in two correctional facilities now. We've been given an opportunity to go to a third. And here's what that looks like for us. In each facility, we spend $15,000. We go in and put in the equipment, the sound, the projectors and all of that so they get a quality view. We can't stream there so we take DVDs of the week before and we go in. When we put the equipment in it belongs to the state, to the prison. Uh, so we have another opportunity and if you would like to help us start this uh, next campus, it's $15,000. I encourage you to do that, be part of it. We've had people write a check for the whole thing. We've had people who want to share in part of it. If you'd like to do that, you can go to our website, you can go to Give, click on Give and you'll see a page called Legacy. And if you'll go there for more information on Legacy, you'll see in our Legacy, this is giving outside of tithe. There are five lanes you can give. If you look under Local Missions, that's where our prison ministry resides, and you can plug in there and give through that lane. So I encourage you to pray about it. Ask the Lord what he'd have you to do. We would love to get this campus started by, by July, and so we need to purchase equipment. So pray about that and do it, okay? We want another campus, right, in, in the prison, right? Yeah, okay. Well, if you missed last weekend's message, I encourage you to go back and pick it up, watch it, because you're going to be just a little misfitted today because it's kind of the foundational piece to this. Uh, today we'll be looking in the book of Romans. Last week we stayed in the book of Ephesians. But the question we're wrestling with in this entire series is grace, is it too good to be true? And when you begin to unwrap this ideal of grace from the Bible, it, it seems too good to be true. One reason for us in our Western culture is we've been taught that if something seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? You, you probably heard that as a child. And I believe that most people dismiss the ideal of grace because it seems too good to be true. Another thing that we've been taught here in our culture is you have to work hard to earn everything. You have to work hard and apply yourself, and, and that is true. However, that, bleed, that mentality bleeds over in against the ideal of grace, and we believe sometimes we have to work hard to get God's favor. We have to work hard to get into heaven, when in fact, it's the goodness of God that gets us to heaven, not anything good that we can do for God gets us into heaven. So, it, it, you know, if it were possible for us to do enough good to get into heaven, then Christ wouldn't have had to come and, and, and live and die on this earth. So last week, I started in Acts 20, and it's at the end of Paul's life, and he's going into Jerusalem, and he made this statement. And this, the statement is this one task, his one task was to testify about the gospel of God's grace. First time we see it phrased that way, gospel, God's gospel of grace. So the word gospel in the Greek, one of, one of the meanings can be news that seems too good to be true. So even in that time, in that era, this is too good to be true. But at the end of Paul's life, here's what he realized, that the gospel and grace are interchangeable. They're interchangeable. 
understand it's what you believe that gets you to heaven and I'm not saying your works are not important what these men do when they go to the prison is very very important we're so proud of them and what they do and they're being blessed by doing that our works are extremely important but it's what you believe that gets you to heaven your rewards in heaven are determined by your works if, if what you believe gets you to heaven what you do is important on the earth and here's why because what you do in serving is salt and light in other words we're here to be influencers on this earth that's why it's important for you to believe that grace is not too good to be true it is true it is God's grace and God is his idea so grace is good so before we look at Romans I want to ask you a couple questions because let's just say we all believe that we're saved by grace and that you know that we, we really believe that salvation comes by grace not by works so then let me ask you that question if you believe that well what happens after salvation does grace disappear does grace simply disappear and leave us on our own I mean how, what do we do about all the temptations we're gonna face does grace empower us is there an empowering grace that helps us live a pure blameless life before God is it possible that salvation's grace is just as powerful for me after I become a believer we talked about last week saving grace and sustaining grace in this message today I want to give you two things I believe there are only two days I need grace I need grace for today and I need grace for yesterday I don't need grace for tomorrow because I haven't done anything about tomorrow today is when I am the most vulnerable and you too yesterday is when I made my mistakes so your, your, your newest sin could be five hours from now or tomorrow, but the Bible says don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough evil of its own. So I need grace now, today, and I need grace for all my mistakes of yesterday. So two points to the message. Here's the first one. Grace for today. We're looking in the book of Romans, and if you look at the theme of Romans, it says the just shall live by faith. The theme is not restricted to salvation. It's expanded to all of our life. The original kind of reads like this, the just by faith shall live by faith. Here's what that means. A person is made just or righteous by faith and continues to live by faith. So when we look back at the word gospel in the Greek, it's the word euegleon, and it means written gospel. But there was another word before the written gospel came, and that word is called kerygma, and, and kerygma is called the vocal gospel. So before the first gospel was written, which was the book of Mark, before they had a New Testament, we have at least three indicators in the scripture of where this kerygma was used, where the disciples were preaching prior to the New Testament. So here's, what, here's the common denominator that you find when, when, when they were doing this in these three instances. They, they talked about Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament. They talked Jesus was incarnated. They talked about Jesus was resurrected, that Jesus sent forth representatives, and he's called us all to be his own. That was the common theme. Every sermon in the book of Acts included the resurrection of Christ. Every book in the New Testament, except for the book of James, included Christ's resurrection. So the early disciples, they, they preached with the vocal gospel, which included the resurrection of Christ on a regular basis. Why did they do that? Because the resurrection validates the crucifixion and Christ's atonement claims. And this, this is what it tells me on my side of this. It tells me that true preaching is bringing about an encounter between God and man so where man will never be the same. And that's why I want you to catch 
and understand grace. As we get into this series, you're going to see how important it is, not only for our lives, but for the lives of people. I want you to catch this. I want you to understand it because it's very important. So let me pick up in Romans 6, verse 1, and this is what Paul said. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And let me answer before he does, absolutely not. In verse 2, he answers, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, watch these two words, we too may live a new life. We too, everyone at City Hope, everyone listening, everyone can have a new life. So, here's my question. Does that mean that after salvation, that, that my life should be different, or should it be the same as before salvation? The, the answer is different. After salvation, my life should look different. It's one of the evidences of salvation. It's not the old Jerry, but it's the new Jerry. I believe there are many people that they're a Christian and, and, and they're, they're, they're going to heaven, but you have never truly saw your life change. And let, let me tell you why I think that. I think we can roll back to where we were six, seven, eight years old, and maybe your story went something like this. I was seven years old, I prayed the prayer, but nothing was different, and I didn't change until I was 20 years old or 22 years old. Then when were you really born again? Probably at 20 when your life was new and looked new and it stopped looking like the old and you started looking like a new person, that's salvation. Here's what I believe. I believe when you're six, seven, and eight years old, God is getting your attention. He's planting seeds in your heart. The Bible says there's a season to plow and break up the ground and there's a season to reap the harvest, the crop. And I'm grateful for the groundbreaking when I was seven years old, but also remember praying that prayer, but also remember groundbreaking when I was 14 years old when I responded to a missionary sermon and went down. So, and, and then it was later on when I really changed. So here, here's what I wonder. I wonder how many people have, have had seed planted but live miserably and have not experienced the new life of the believer. It's not just praying a prayer and say, okay, I'm going to heaven. No, there is an experience of a new life that you can experience. Paul goes on in the next verse, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying you have a new life. It's not the old life. When you are born again, you have a new life and understand that grace is not a license to continue living a sinful life or even a life controlled by sin. Grace, listen, is the only way you'll ever be set free. The law cannot set you free. The law reminds you're a sinner. It reminds you that you have failed and, and you're not measuring up. If you want to be free from sin, grace sets you free from sin and grace sentences you to heaven. Grace, listen, is the only possible antidote of the oppression of darkness that once was in our lives. Listen, because of the nature of sin, all of us have that nature. We are born with that nature. 
the only possible way to turn that around of that darkness because my spirit man is dormant, it's not alive, is for me to be born again. When I am born again, my spirit man comes alive and I discover grace, then I'm set free. Listen, personally, I determined to be free from legalism and not be controlled by sin. I can be free and live my life by grace. I can live my life free from control of the law, and I can live my life in a way that's, that my life's never going to be controlled by sin. Why can I do that? Because of grace. Only because of grace. So I led you to this part to make this statement. Please listen to the statement. We can never change the world if the world has already changed us. Did you hear me? We can never change the world. The world's already changed. Now, now think about that for a minute because God's called you to be salt and light. He's called you to be light that's set on a hill that, that light can never be extinguished according to Scripture. God's called us to be an influencer. He's called us to be agents of change, to introduce people to God so they can change. We will never change the world if the world has changed us. We have to be different. We have to be peculiar people. Some of you are peculiar. I know that, but I'm talking about spiritually peculiar, okay? You've got to be different because your difference is what's going to influence people. Most people, though, they take the law and they go beat people over the head and expect people to change. How many of you know that doesn't work in the 21st century? It does not work. It's just not going to work. So here's what I want you to see. If you want to win people to Jesus Christ, introduce them to grace. I want us, City Hope Church, to be marked as people of grace, as men and women of grace. I want us to treat people with grace. I want us to live with grace because grace is what changes people. And here's how. Listen to this statement. Grace tells the world there's hope. So the word hope in the Greek means confidence not a hope so for the future type of confidence, but a confidence in the here and now, right where I'm living, I have confidence, and that extends through my entire life and into my eternity. In the New Testament, hope is presented as a present possession of reality that empowers and produces power and confidence here and now. In other words, hope is bold confidence from God. There's not a lot of people that are full of bold confidence. We have a lot of question marks. We have a lot of wondering. We're, we're, we're in this place where we don't have that boldness. Listen, when you have that boldness that God is in charge of the here and the now and it's presented in a loving, gracious way from your spirit, man, people are attracted to that. You are influencing people. Are, are you breathing? How many of you are not breathing? Hold your hand up. Okay, just making sure everybody's still breathing. The world, here's what the world needs. The world needs grace. Let me tell you what grace looks like. Grace is the cup of cold water that a dry and thirsty world's desperate for. It's the cup of cold water that every person you know that is away from God is desperate for someone to tell them where they can find hope. If you could hear them inside, they're thinking, I just, I just want a cup of cold water. But when I get around Christians, sometimes they throw fire at me. If they would just listen, I already know I'm a sinner. I already know things aren't right. Don't keep reminding me of that, but will you please show me a way out? Will you please show me the hope of getting out of this? And that's what sets people free, the cup of cold water. That's your, that's your part of influencing. It's grace that liberates us, and, and, and this, is what, this is what we're talking about. Grace for today. 
If you're living your life and it's controlled by sin, it's because you haven't discovered grace. God gives you the easy way out. And for us, that's too good to be true. But you don't know, Pastor, what I'm doing right now. You don't know what's going on in my life. And, and you're telling me, accept Christ, make him Lord of my life, and he will give me a new life, and all those things will change? Yes. That's what I'm telling you. And if there was a plan B, I'd give you plan B, but there's not another option. You're going to have to believe that grace is not too good to be true, or you'll keep living your life controlled by sin. So Paul is telling us, you, you don't have to live like the old self. You, you, you can die to the old self. You can crucify it because of grace. And because of grace, listen, listen, because of grace, God is more and more accessible to you and not more distant from you. Because of grace, you can access God, and that's why you have hope. So you, you understand that God is closer to you now than ever before if you have hope. You know, God can't love you more today than he has in the past. God loves you as much right now as he's ever loved you. And he'll never love you tomorrow more than he loves you right now. But when I sin, when I fall, how many of us, our first thought is, God doesn't love me now. I got to start all over because I blew it. I don't know how many I'm talking to, but I'm telling you, I've been there. I've been there. This is the way it works with a human relationship. It works that way in a human, and that's why we think it works that way with God. When you break trust or you fail a person, it takes a long time to reestablish that trust. Maybe you've gone through that in your marriage where one has failed the other, and it takes a long time to really rebuild that trust and intimacy you once had. That's true with human relationships. That is not true with God relationships. That's why I can be free today. That's why. Because I can't earn it. I can't earn the trust. I can't earn it all. It, it's not, it's not, it's not, I, I can't do that. When I fail God today, I'm broken, and so I repent. I go to God and I say, I failed you immediately. Watch, because I'm controlled by grace. I know that same love he loved me with the day that I came to him. I feel that same love as when I came to him. It's as present today as it was then. And if you think that every time you fail God, you have to start all over, you will quit and you will give up. And I don't know how many people are out there that have started and quit and give up because that's a frustrating relationship. It's a frustrating. God, grace says, if I have failed, God still loves me and I repent. If I, if I do that, God's love for me is the same as when I first came to him. In fact, if I don't repent of that sin, his love for me is the same. Why? Because he can't stop loving me today. He won't stop loving me today. He won't stop pursuing me. And if you know that in your heart, if you know the creator of the universe is pursuing you and chasing you and running after you, even after you have failed and failed and failed, if you catch that ideal of grace, here what it, here's what it does. It motivates you not to want to sin. Let, let, let me say this about me. I'll quit pointing at you. Point at me. I will sin again before I die. Uh, probably before the week's out. But I won't be controlled by sin. I will fail, 
but I won't be controlled by it. Why? Because I'm not going to be a slave to sin because God's grace and his love will pursue me and set me free. I know that in my mind. I need grace today because I want to change my world, therefore I can't let the world change me. And you say, yeah, but pastor, that's easy for you because you're a pastor and all you do is preach on Sunday and you got all this time to pray and study and, and i got to work 60 hours a week. Well, let me give you something that Paul said that may help you. Philippians 2, verse 12. Dear friends, talking to you, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Watch. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to show God's saving grace in your lives, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, is, is that after salvation or before salvation? That, that is told to people after salvation. He's talking to believers that need saving grace in their lives every day. Verse 13, he goes on. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power or the ability to do what pleases him. God gives us the desire to obey him and the power to do it. God didn't just save you and say, good luck, buddy, I hope you make it there. Hope I see you again. No, he's, here's what he said. I did everything they need for salvation. I'll do everything for you so you can obey me. I'm going to put a desire in your heart. And by the way, the desire in your heart is one of the fruits of salvation. So do you desire to please God or yourself? And, and I'm not saying exclusively because there are times I like pleasing myself, but the majority of my thoughts and my motives are to please God, not myself. And that's how I know God lives in my heart because he's given me the desire to obey him. And not only do I have the desire, but sometimes I don't follow the desire because I procrastinate. Anybody else? But God knows how I'm wired. And here's what God thought. I, can, I can't just give them the desire to do it. I have to give them the ability to do it. That doesn't mean we're robots. We have a will. We make a choice. But that's why every day I have to renew my mind. <clears throat> I have to renew the thoughts in my mind. I have to say to God, Lord, be the Lord of my life today. Lord, be in my heart, my thoughts. This day belongs to you. I need your grace today. Lord, give me the desire and the power to execute and follow through this day. I need grace for today. Anybody else? Slow group. Grace for yesterday. Now, I want you to be honest with me, okay? I want you to be, I'm looking, and I'll know if you're lying. Be honest with me. How many of you ever think about your past? Come on, if you're breathing, you probably do. How many of you think about things that you wrestled with like last week or last month or a year ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago? Well, I, yeah, everybody, just about, except the young bucks. I want to read a couple of scriptures. The most incredible chapter in Romans is chapter 8. The bookend scriptures are so powerful. There's four of them. I want you to listen to them. Romans 8.1. You've heard of them, I'm sure. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Say that with me. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you read that for the first time, your mind would say, why? Why not? He answers, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, watch, the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of death. Here's why that's good news. By the, because the, the new order of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the order of sin and death. The word free there means exempt and liberated. 
So from the principle of sin and death, I am liberated, I am set free. My soul is no longer the captain in charge of my life in Christ. My new life in Christ now is the spirit of life, and that's where that, that is going to exempt us from hell. Non-believers cannot say this. They can't say it. Why? Because here's what a non-believer has. A non-believer has their will, has their intelligence, and their feelings, which is basically their soul, mind, will, and emotions. Because they've not experienced the law of the Spirit, which is the law of life, the Zoe life. Now look at the last two verses in that chapter. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So listen, I'm going to borrow his three words. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. That, that's why I'm speaking on grace. Five weeks. I want us to be convinced of what I'm going to say. Chapter 8 starts with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. So watch. No condemnation is the glory of the gospel. No separation is the guarantee of the gospel. In between no condemnation and no separation, we find this rich, full chapter that says to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. It says that all things are possible, that we're heirs according to Christ. And by the way, it also says there's no separation from the love of God. That's the glory of the gospel and the guarantee of the gospel. That's why we don't have to live with condemnation. What's condemnation? I'm glad you asked. The Greek word for condemnation means the results of judgment. It's talking about the phase of the trial where the sentence has been handed out. So what does it mean when a person is condemned? It means you have been put on trial, found guilty, and now you've been sentenced, and you're waiting now for the sentence to be carried out. Before you knew Jesus Christ, you were put on trial, found guilty, and sentenced. When you were lost without Christ, you were simply waiting for the sentence to be carried out. What is the sentence? Separation from God. And then Jesus came, and he said, I, I want to be put on trial for them, for all humanity. Jesus was put on trial and found guilty, not guilty, and sentence was eternity with God the Father. He was found not guilty, but he was sentenced with eternity with God the Father. So when we believe in Jesus, when we are born again, we get the same sentence he got. And now all we're doing in this place called earth is we're waiting for the sentence to be carried out. Do you understand? So here's the question. I don't know whose sentence you want to carry out, but for me, I want to live under the sentence of Christ because he's the only one found not guilty. That's why there's no condemnation if I'm in Christ Jesus because I've received the same sentence as Jesus Christ received. Therefore, my yesterdays are forgiven. So catch this. You've probably heard a lot of things to say to the enemy when he comes, but listen to this one. When the enemy comes to try and condemn you, bring up your past. God is not going to bring up your past. It's under the blood. It's washed away. When the enemy comes to condemn you of your past, tries to stir up something in your past, 
Here's what you say to him. If I had been the one on trial, you would be right. But I wasn't the one put on trial. Jesus was put on trial, and Jesus is the Lord of my life. Therefore, there is no condemnation, and I am not separated from my God. That is the glory of the gospel, is that you can pass, your past can be redeemed. The guarantee of the gospel is there's no separation from God. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's good news for us to hear. And I'm hope, I, I, I know, when, when you get into Romans, you get into grace, you know, it gets cloudy, and sometimes you flip the button and turn it off because it's so, I'm trying, I want to make it as simple as I can. I want to make it so that you catch this. Because I promise you, I've had people come up to me last weekend over and over and over, and story after story after story, I've got email after email after email of people who have lived under condemnation, of people who have, have felt like they, that they, they can't live for God, and they've ridden, ridden this roller coaster ride with God. And this information and them taking it to God is changing the way they think about grace. And that's what I want you to do, is change the way and understand grace. Why? So that you can influence the world that you live in, and you can be bold to tell people, oh, no, there's a grace, and you can't earn it, and you can't buy it. It's given to you because of the love of God, and your Father loves you and his son died for you and all you have to do is believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior repent of your sins and guess what you have access for grace today and yesterday so as I end this will you declare with me I'm declaring to you I need grace for today and I need grace for yesterday will you declare that with me I do. I need it. In fact, listen, if you have, a, you may need to break a pattern. Sin may have a pattern in your life. I'll tell you how you break a pattern. You break a pattern with grace. You say every day, I need grace today. And you say, I need grace for yesterday. If you will ask for it, for it today, grace will set you free. Some of you say, well, I, I don't need it for today. It's yesterday that's bothering me. If you'll ask for it, grace will help you accept the fact there's no more condemnation. You can be free from yesterday. And listen, from outside the spiritual realm, this all sounds too good to be true. It sounds like we're all going to drink the Kool-Aid in just a minute. It's just too good to be true. But listen to me. It is true. And you do need to drink the spiritual Kool-Aid, not the Jim Jones the real Kool-Aid, <laughs> so you can be free, so you can enjoy life, so you can be an influence to people that you live around and that you work with. Why? Because if they see you weighted down with no hope, they don't want what you have. When they see you bold in the hope that everything's going to be all right because Jesus is Lord of my life and he's in control, they're going to ask you, what do you have? What's going on? And you get to tell them about grace. And you get to tell them about your story and how God gives you grace every day. And his grace took care of their past. I may just jump down here and baptize these people myself. Y'all hadn't let me baptize people in years. And I'm feeling kind of jealous. <laughs> Man, when I see somebody go under the water and they come up, I think grace. 
I, I don't think, well, that person is so good and so this. No, no, I just thank grace because none of us are good enough. Just the grace of the loving God that created us, that extended this to us. And I'm telling you, we're going to get to celebrate grace. But I wanna, before we do, I want to pray for you. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you that there is grace for today and grace for yesterday. But Lord, help us be convinced enough to ask for it, to receive it, to live daily in your grace so that the world we live in can see the influence that grace has had on our lives so that lives will be changed. We ask you for your grace in Jesus' name. And the church said amen.